to your attention, there's some themes going on in this service that I don't always notice as we plan the services, but um, they correlate perfectly and with what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Joe puts part of the service together, Andy puts part of the service together, and then, you know, Mark prays charity, and Kristen give their vision moment, and, and then I preach, and um, a lot of things come together. Some of those are planned, and some of those aren't. One of the things that I see happening here is just the centrality of Christ. That's not surprising. He should be central. But the centrality of Jesus in everything that we do here in our church. Also, the importance of community. Um, just the way that we love each other really matters, and it really reinforces our faith to each other. Um, also, this understanding that there is suffering in our lives and in this world, and that as we seek to follow Christ, it's never done in a, in a perfect set of circumstances. We're always suffering. We're always struggling. And that's why we need each other. And that's why we need to stay centered on Christ. And then also the hope of heaven and all, all of that. That in this world, uh, we can and we do have a purpose, but it's not perfect. It's not going to be. And one day all things will be made new. And in Christ, if he is our purpose, which he is now, the more that Christ is our purpose now, the less whiplash we'll have in heaven because he'll be our purpose forever. So the more we can learn now about that, the better. And that's how I'll end the sermon, essentially. But I just see that happening so beautifully here today. You know, purpose is something that we as human beings all inherently believe that we're supposed to have. Uh, when a human being begins to doubt that they have any purpose at all, we call that depression, we call that something that's unhealthy for the soul. We believe, and we should believe, and we do believe that we have purpose in living our lives. Purpose is something that I talk about with people as a pastor almost more than anything else. I can't, there's at least hundreds of conversations I've had with people about, you know, what is my calling? Why am I here? How do I put that together? It's something I talk about with my own parents, something I talk about with my own children. With Olivia and I, we, we're constantly talking about what is our calling? How, how does that align with our life circumstances? It's just part of the, the mix. It's part of what we talk about. I was talking to my mom the other day, and my mom is in her mid-70s, and I just kind of nonchalantly asked her, how you doing, Mom? What's, what's been going on? And she said, well, I've been thinking a lot about my purpose lately. I've been thinking about the, this decade of my life and this season of my life that I'm in, and am I following the Lord, and am I doing the things that he wants me to do right now. And I think about this as a parent of my own children, that I want them to grow up not conforming to whatever the world tells them that they should do or be, but to be who God wants them to be. This is something that's just inherently in our lives as human beings. This is something that is created in us by the Lord. It is, it is one of those, those signs that there is a God, that there is something in us that calls us to believe as human beings, whether you're a Christian or not, that I matter. My life matters. Why does it matter? Well, without God in the picture, it doesn't make sense. But with God in the picture, it makes complete sense. This question of purpose that we human beings are constantly asking ourselves and talking about with each other is not a question that, for example, my dog is thinking about every day. I love my dog. My dog, Rocky, is unbelievable. He's the coolest dog in the world. But Rocky's not walking around every day thinking about what's my purpose, okay? Because Rocky probably knows his purpose, and it's to greet me every time I walk in the door 
as if I'm the greatest person that's ever lived. And I appreciate that. Rocky, Rocky's purpose, he just kind of inherently knows that it is to eat whatever is available to him at all times immediately. And it's to protect our land, to make sure that no other dogs travel in. But, but Rocky's not walking around. Animals are not walking around thinking about their purpose. It's something that is endemic to the human experience that we all believe and know that, yes, we have a purpose because we were created to have a purpose. Solomon also thought extensively about this question. This is the last sermon in the Ecclesiastes series. And he's reflecting on the question of purpose throughout his reflections. And at the end, he gets to a point where he sums it up. And he says the sum of the purpose is to fear God and keep his commandments. And so today we're going to talk about purpose. And we're going to look at it from a perspective of biblical theology, which means we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to actually go back before Solomon and ask about human beings. Why were we created and the question of purpose and our creation? Then we're going to talk about Genesis 3 and the rest, a lot of scripture, uh, what got broken, uh, what happened uh, to us as humans, why did we become so self-consumed and self-shaped as we pursue this question of purpose. And then finally, we're going to look at how Jesus reshapes our purpose through the gospel. So first of all, purpose originally shaped. Purpose originally shaped. We do need to start with this picture of purpose because we are trained, even in the church, to not begin with understanding who we are uh, by going all the way back to the beginning of our creation. But there's something about the training that we get in the church that it's almost as if our human existence started in Genesis 3, as if it started with the fall. I was at a missions conference one time, I think it was back in 2015, and I was listening to a plenary uh, talk by a guy named Paul Koistra. He was over MTW for the Asia Pacific at the time. And he was talking about this, and, and for, as an illustration, there's about 2,000 people listening to him took a big risk as a public speaker, and he said, okay, we're going to play a game of word association. I'm going to call out a word, and I want you as the audience to immediately tell me back the word that comes to mind when I say this word. So you're talking about 2,000 people. A lot of them are missionaries. A lot of them are pastors. A lot of them love missions. They know the Bible well. And so he starts out, and he says, word association. I want to say a word. You, you say back to me, human beings. And about 1,500 people said, sinners. That was the response to human beings. Well, that's true. Our anthropology needs to include sin, absolutely. But before sin, we actually had an identity. We had a purpose that was lost, or at least it was greatly marred later. But before all that, back in Genesis 1 and 2, we were created Male and female in the image of God. The image of God himself. Great dignity, great design, great purpose, great honor. Our purpose was given to us by God. Infused in our humanity is purpose. Purpose is not something that we were called to go out and define for ourselves. It was not meant to be based on how much you're worth how much you produce, what kind of an amazing person you are, who you're connected to in this world. Purpose is something that is God-given. It is inherent to human beings because we're created in God's image with dignity and beauty and delight. And God delighted in us, and he, 
he gave us his image. And so we have this purpose from God. This purpose from God is not self-defined. It is God-defined. It is outward-facing. It is not inward-facing. It is others-facing. It is God-facing from the beginning, not self-consumed. And then after Genesis 1:26 and 27 and Genesis 1:28, we have the original version of the Great Commission. Sometimes it's called the cultural mandate where, okay, what are we supposed to do as images of God, made in God's image? We're supposed to go out and first of all, fill the world with the image of God. We're supposed to do that through having children and doing our best to try to raise them, even though it's up to God really to change our kids' hearts. We're supposed to have kids and raise them up. And then we're supposed to go out and tell all the other human beings about who God is so that they'll follow him. They'll know that they're created in his image. And then after that, we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to exercise dominion over the world in such a way that when people look at how we take care of each other and take care of creation and of the world itself, that it will show like a kingdom or like a greenhouse that God is, that Yahweh is good. That was our original purpose as it was defined by God. And so something dramatic happened in between Genesis 1 and 2 and Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, where Solomon says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain from all of his toil under the sun? And then 2, 17, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. A striving after wind. How did things go from purpose, honor, and dignity to meaninglessness, vanity, and striving after wind? You know, even if you don't know the gospel yet, you know that something's wrong. You know that something is broken. We're like people walking around with amnesia, and we begin to recover our memory in fragments We know down deep inside, even if you don't yet know the gospel, you know down deep inside that you were created for something much bigger than yourself. You know that you were, and you know that you are. You know that you're not supposed to be totally consumed with yourself. You know that something has been lost, and there's a memory gap between who we're created to be and who we are now, and we can look at Solomon's life as a mirror of our own lives. First Kings eleven six. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, did not follow the Lord wholly as David, his father, had done. And that's a generous way to describe David. I'll guarantee you that. But to put it kindly, Solomon did not achieve the wisdom of Ecclesiastes by living a perfect life. He did not reach the conclusion of Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen without trying almost everything else himself and finding out that nothing at all in this world satisfied his soul except for God himself. And so he distills this wisdom down for us in 12.13, fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And if we would start with the end, the conclusion of Solomon's advice, fear God and keep his commandments, if we could keep that verse then all would go well with us. And we know it too. We know that as Christians, as we've come to know the Lord, if you've come to know the Lord, then you know that that makes perfect sense. 
that when you turn in on yourself and when you live apart from God and when you don't fear God and keep his commandments, that it does not go well with you. But still, we're prone to pursuing life in a self-shaped way. We, from birth, we begin the whole human existence is what is in it for me. What do I want? Dream it and do it and all of the self-focus jargon we hear today as a result of that. We grow up, man, I, I say this is part of my testimony, that I feel like until I knew the Lord, and even after I knew the Lord sometimes, that every day and every week was like a big PR contest for myself. How can I make the most out of this situation for me? How can at the end of this week I be greater than I was at, you know, before? This is just... This is just narcissism. This is just turning in on ourselves. But we all live this way to some extent because we think that by living this way, we will find our purpose. This self-shaped pursuit of purpose is the way that all human beings live if they don't understand the gospel and they're not repenting and believing the gospel. I was out in my front yard last night throwing... Again, with my dog, he comes back into the sermon, he's throwing a ball to my dog, and my neighbor walked out, and we start talking, and uh, this guy's been my friend for 13 years. He's been my across-the-street neighbor. He's not a believer. We've had many open conversations about the gospel, and uh, he very genuinely asked me, what's your sermon on tomorrow? And he asked me this from time to time, and I always try to think about, how do I talk about this in a way that you uh, will benefit from? Um, now, tomorrow I'm talking about purpose in life and how we were originally created for this purpose of following God, but then we've become, uh, everything got broken because we've become self-consumed and, and just self-referential in, in every way, and that's how everything breaks down. And he looked at me as if I was speaking another language because for him, it just made me realize that what other option is there? For, for him... Figuring things out ourselves on our own and how to live our lives is just the option that's available. And so that's how we live. We live trying to think, how can I make the most of this opportunity for me? And then, you know, altruistically for other people sometimes as well. It was a good conversation, but it made me realize just how different we think as Christians about purpose, or we should think as Christians about purpose than those who don't yet know the Lord. And we need to realize that the self-shapedness that's hardwired into our humanity is now reinforced outwardly, outside of us, by social structures that are created by people who also have self-interest in mind. So it's not just you trying to pursue your own self-interest. There are also societal and systemic uh, realities that actually make it easier for you to be self-focused, okay? Some of those examples would be Olivia and I were talking about this the other day. She listens to a podcast called The Rebuilders out of Australia. But these guys were just saying that with the, after the post-World War II, with the rise of people leaving their hometowns and going into the cities and being more isolated from their parents and from that original community, We're even more isolated than before. And then if you combine that with social media, how we're actually sort of trained to think that this is my profile and I can interact with the world without really needing other people, 
I mean, yeah, I need them to like things and to retweet things, but I don't really need them as much. And then with the rise of, of X or Twitter, what, what Musk is trying to do is create a platform where your social media life and your commerce life, your buying and selling life, are one so that you actually don't need, if you don't want to, if it's too much trouble for you, you actually don't have to interact with other people. Yeah, if there's going to be a future world, and it's not too far away, some people are already living in it, where you actually don't need to see people to get by in life. You don't actually need to be physically in the presence of other people. This is already happening. There's already apps like this in China. There's already apps like this in Indonesia. We're not far from that. If it's too much trouble to have other people in your life, a church, for example, you can get it all online. All you need is an internet connection, and you can be self-sufficient. So our inward desire for self-sufficiency is being outwardly reinforced by social realities so that we're actually really in danger. And the danger here is this. If you get into John 10 and the hired hand and the wolf, is that when, you know, what is that one sheep of the 99 who finds himself alone that the shepherd needs to go after. Well, we, as, as human beings, as we're self-centered and then societal pressures are reinforcing that, we find ourselves to be isolated from the flock. And when we're isolated from the flock, we're in the most danger. That is when the hired hand comes in and starts to tell us things that sound quite plausible and believable and even perhaps good for us. I mean, Satan never comes saying, you know, come down, bow down to me and worship me and you'll have everything that you want. I mean, he said that to Jesus, but he doesn't say that to us because we're not going to, he knows we're not going to fall for that. He knew Jesus wasn't going to fall for that. He comes to us and he, he masquerades and he says, I promise you something, but he never delivers on it. And so the hired hand comes. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about our good and fulfillment. It says that he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He just wants us to live toward self-fulfillment. He wants us to be self-directed in anything that can lead us in that direction. He knows is good for him. He likes to ask us questions like he asked Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say you can't do that? How are you going to be happy in a world without that apple, without that whatever thing that you really feel like you have to have to be happy. Did God really say you needed to follow him in community? Did God really say that you needed to be centered on him alone and not on yourself? How is that going to lead you to your purpose? How's it going to lead you to where you want to go? When we put ourselves at the center of the question of purpose and we isolate ourselves from other people, we are sitting ducks. We are, we are on the margins. We are, we are at risk. And that's where we find ourselves before Jesus comes to us. So how do we get out of this self-shaping doom loop? We can't save ourselves. We need to be saved by the good shepherd. As Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? So then we get the purpose reshaped. This is some of Ecclesiastes and also John 10. So first of all, Christ 
reshapes our purpose. So Solomon says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the summary of the law. That's true, but we can't do that. We don't live that way. We can't live that way. We're we're incapable of, of following God and keeping his commandments. So the first thing we needed from the good shepherd is we needed the good shepherd to live out Ecclesiastes 12, 13. We needed him to keep all of the law, to to fulfill all of the law, the whole duty of man, as it says there in Ecclesiastes 12. We needed him to do that, and he he perfectly fulfills that. And then secondly, we needed him to perfectly live out John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus is speaking about himself, and he's saying that I am not just going to say that I'm the good shepherd, but then he actually becomes the good shepherd by laying down his life for us. And I want you to think about Jesus on the cross and his laying down of his life for us like a good shepherd. Why did the shepherd need to lay down his life for us? Well, the hired hand, bad teachers, bad thinking, bad whatever, had led us off. And then we faced the wolf, as it says in John 10. The wolf is coming for us. And so the shepherd, in order to save the sheep from the wolf had to himself die, had to himself stand in between the sheep that he was redeeming and saving and the wolf, Satan, who was coming after them. Because Satan then is no longer saying nice things to lead us astray. Now Satan has become the accuser of the brethren. He is standing before God and he is saying, look at all of these people and how they have not done what they were supposed to do, how they have not fulfilled the law, how they have time and time again throughout Old Testament history over and over and over again, they have not met expectations. They have not come anywhere close. And so Satan stands before God accusing us. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I will live the law perfectly. I'll be the perfect man. And then I will stand in between you, the wolf and my sheep, and I will be consumed for them. My love for them will be so great and so massive that you can consume me instead of them. And so Jesus himself, he dies on the cross. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep so that we will be rescued from our own self-shapingness. That we believe that we can pursue and find purpose outside of him. And as he redeems us on the cross and he and he dies for, in this way as our good shepherd, he becomes, or we, we become able to actually love him and follow him. We actually understand that he now needs to be the purpose of our lives. Someone who would die for us like that. Someone who would be then three days later raised for us like that. Then demands our soul. He is our king. And he becomes the purpose of our lives. And, and we actually become capable of living out Proverbs, I mean, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, that we can keep the commandments. We can fear God. We are actually able to do that, not perfectly, but we're truly able to follow the voice of the good shepherd as he leads us into our purpose. So Christ reshapes our purpose by laying down his life for us on the cross And then the second way that our purpose is reshaped is in community. Community helps us understand our purpose. When I teach a class 
when I, t- I used to teach our membership class, and I would use this illustration, when I teach the children about uh, the importance of community, I'll ask the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? And about 99 times out of 100, adult or child, the answer is, he died on the cross to save me from my sins. And that's an absolutely true theological answer to the question. Uh, that's true, but there's another reason why Jesus died, a greater reason why Jesus died, a more church-oriented reason why Jesus died, and it's what he talks about in John chapter 10. And Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, he's not talking about a singular sheep. He goes on and explains, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have sheep here, right, right here, my disciples, as he's talking to them and those in his current ministry. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died for his church. He died, it says in Matthew 121, and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That defines the identity of Jesus. So Jesus at the cross, he has an, he is outward facing. He is an outward facing God. And so as he restores our purpose, he restores that purpose in community. Our purpose is not found in living life alone. It's found in community with other human beings. And that's what Solomon is reflecting on in Ecclesiastes 4, when he's saying that the more you're isolated, the more you're singular, the less you're going to realize all that God has for you in terms of purpose. He says, you, you know, two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And that's not just something to be read in, in wedding, uh, you know, in wedding homilies, which is very often read. But it's something for every single one of us, every single person who's ever been created, certainly for every person in the church, that you can't know your purpose in life apart from the community of faith that you are in. I think it was just such a great, such great timing for Kristen's vision moment because she just literally read out her own purpose statement. Um, so I'm, I'm so grateful that she has a purpose statement. I, I need to revisit mine and, and understand kind of what that is sometimes. And I think for all of us to be thinking about that purpose, but did you notice how her purpose statement wasn't just about herself? In fact, it was very yeah, of course it was her purpose statement, but it's all about other people. It's all about what God is doing through her to glorify himself and to bless other people around her. That is the type of purpose that God has given to us. But immediately as we get into that, we know that to experience life in community is a risk. Um, We know that Anyone who's loved anyone, uh, there's a risk to that. To say that I need you is to open myself up to being hurt by you. It's just true. C.S. Lewis reflected on this, the tension of the fear of hurt and yet a need for relationship. He said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, that is your heart, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, 
to love is to be vulnerable. So well put. To love is to be vulnerable. The U2 song, with or without you, I can't live with or without you. That is the the tension of the human existence that we find ourselves in. But we know we need to understand our purpose, that our purpose is actually found in relationships with the Lord first and then with each other. So our purpose is reshaped first in our relationship with Christ, then in our relationship with community, and then in our relationship with our commission, our calling. So the, the third part here is that our commission reconstitutes our purpose or reshapes our purpose. So remember back in Genesis 128 how God said that you have this original purpose. You're created in my image and go exercise dominion over the world and, and extend the dynasty of humanity around the world so that they will know me. Well, all of that got really messed up in Genesis 3, as Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. But now Jesus is restoring that in John 10 and other passages where he is saying, I died for my sheep. Jesus is an outward-facing God. Jesus on the cross is looking at his father. It's about his father. Jesus on the cross is looking out at you. Yes, you, you personally, his eyes are on you. He's looking out at you. And his eyes are also looking out beyond those who were around him at the cross that day. He's looking out into human history and he's saying, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold, I think the best way to to translate that or to understand that, he's literally talking about Israel and the people that are right around him. He's saying, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There are other folds out there, and there's other people. That's me, and that's you if you believe in him. That's how the gospel starts extending around the world. As Jesus sheds his blood, he's outward facing, and he's like, my church is called to be about this. It's called to be about extending the gospel around the world. It's every tongue, tribe, and nation, as we Again, beautifully read about in Revelation 7. It's every neighbor, every nation being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that purpose is big enough to fit your life into, I guarantee it. If, if your purpose is about God and this redemption that has been purchased for you by Christ, if, if your purpose is about community loving others, taking that risk. If your purpose is about extending the gospel of grace to neighbors and nations, then it's big enough to fit your life into. Now, your particular purpose is something that you'll have to explore, like Kristen has. Claire Hine leads a unique class, really helping people. Yes, you need to understand yourself. Absolutely, you were created uniquely, but also you were created by God for these purposes. And how does that sync up? How does that fit together? That's so important. But I do think it's worth realizing and saying out loud that we live in a broken world and that no matter how much you think about your purpose and no matter how zealously you try to live on purpose for God, there's always going to be hiccups. There's always going to be frustrations. It's never going to go smoothly and sail just right. It's not easy. We need to disavow ourselves of this notion that somehow we can reach this like nirvana-like state on earth if we follow God where everything is just going swimmingly and all everything is taken care of. No, 
That's called heaven. Okay? That's where you're going. Yeah, that's also part of your purpose. (laughs) You're living now on purpose so that you'll get there. And then he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Yeah, as the Westminster Confession says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you'll do that. You should start doing that now. But one day it will make a lot more sense. And you'll be able to do it unhindered with no brokenness and no sin. But we're not there yet. But we're, we're being trained right now to live on purpose for God. And as we remember our original creation, as we repent of that sin that hinders us and entangles us, and as we learn to run the race with Christ at the center with the community of other believers and with this great commission that, that has been now reconstituted so that we actually can be about the gospel for other people, I believe that will be on our way. It will be really fulfilling for us until that day when we're clothed in robes of white, when we're with the saints, and we can sing those songs to the Lamb, to our shepherd who has redeemed us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just so grateful for this church as a place where we can seek to find and live out our purpose. Lord, I pray for anyone here um, who has never known you or your, your grace in their hearts, uh, that they would turn and, and find you as the one who loves them and lays down your life for them to give them new purpose. But I pray for others of us as well who have followed you, maybe even for quite some time, and we find ourselves a bit lost. Um, We find ourselves um, stuck and wondering, what does it look like for me to live on purpose for for you, knowing that you've reshaped our purpose, but also truly struggling with what that looks like on a daily basis. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, that you'd encourage us through your word and by your spirit and in this community, that we would all be encouraged to continue to run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. Father, we Thank you for purpose. We thank you that we have it. And we just pray that you would give us more insight in how to live it out in real life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.